The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Raw Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. The Wallabies and Springboks took the chocolates in week one of the Rugby Championship. And your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion throughout the tournament is the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. A great ranking spike in last week's after last week's wonderful chat with Marcelo Bosch. And we'll come back to him in just a minute. But also after the instant reaction uh, after the Wallabies win on Sunday morning, we saw more spikes. We saw a debut at number one in Italy. Hello to our Italian listeners. Uh, and our best Very ever cool. ratings in, uh, in on the Australian, the New Zealand, South African, the Japanese, the French rugby charts, uh, as well as rocketing into our best position inside the Australian charts for all sports. So a massive, massive thank you to everyone uh, who has jumped on in the last week or so. Joining me this and every week, a man still buzzing after maybe the most clinical and complete Springboks performance since winning the World Cup, Harold Erasmus Jones. Hello, mate. How are you? <laughs> how's it? How's it? Hey, maybe it was the ghost of Martin Castillo Giovanni that spiked yes. that issue. May or he, may he not came have, clean after decades of may or may not have been eligible. Interesting. Eligible. Interesting. No, I feel like I feel like we're partying every day right now, mate. We are. It's it's uh, it's it's amazing. I do like the energy of rugby championship. I think it's kind of fun for uh, the Southern brothers to be in this big brawl. Yeah, and I cannot wait to get deeper into uh, the Wallabies. Yes, and we will do that in just a second. You mentioned um, it feels like we're fighting every day, uh, and we've got a very special bonus episode coming out on Friday, which we're going to outline a little further at the end of the episode. Harry has again had a chat uh, with a couple of the sharpest minds in the game. Uh, mate, I mentioned Marcelo Bosch um, in the in the intro there. It was a great chat to him last week, uh, and he was in commentary in the English version for ESPN, which you caught didn't you, there in the States. Um, like, here is here is a clip of Hunter Paisami's, not Hunter Paisami's try. Here is the clip. Listen for the groan just before the try is scored. Good ball, and that's the end of the game. It was a good inside pass. <laughs> it's not the end of the game. The Wallabies finish with a very good try by Hunter Paisami. So that was Len Ikitao's uh, try, mate, not Hunter Paisami, as they said, but <laughs> you could hear Marcelo's pain there, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, he was actually a cool dude in the commentary booth. Uh, I mean, he was not ruffled, not. Yeah. Uh, it was almost like he had taken a chill pill. I mean, that amazing try by Gonzalez. <laughs> Too much so. With Pablo Montero had in one hand, yeah. and it was like, and that probably is a try. I mean, it was, it was, it was just, there was no screaming. You know, I was expecting something. Oh, but no. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Right then, on to this week's guest. Uh, and it's again someone we've spoken to before, but this time he is right in the thick of the action. The Raw Rugby Podcast. Argentina reload. They get it around the line. Still there. Will someone dive on it for Australia? Here it is. Corey Bender. Gordon. Gordon. Paisami. Dummies. Paisami. Away here. Fileniki Tau. Oh, what a wild finish for the Wallabies. There's the bonus point. It is a huge win on the road for Australia. We go to the pod's Western Argentinian studios this week, and from there in Mendoza, embedded with the Wallabies on their tour of Argentina, we offer a welcome return to the Raw Rugby Podcast, Sydney Morning Herald senior sports writer, Ian Payton. Hello, mate. How are you going? Hola. <laughs> well, how, well how, thank how, you. How, got, I think we've got the time zones working all right. It's, um, it's still darkness, but early morning for you. 
We do. I was just telling you guys earlier that it, it's very discombobulating that the sun rises at 8.30 a.m. Um, <laughs> Argentina in the middle of winter. So when I first got here, I, I um, was wondering if my clock was wrong because the sun wasn't rising. But um, no, it's all good. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I don't know. Does this go out on video? You can, can tell the listeners anyway who don't have the video that, that Brett has got a gold Wallabies tracksuit topper on. Harry's got a... Uh, Springboks jersey wearing proudly, and I'm wearing a, a very Argentinian colour, yeah. a shade of blue. We're um, um, we're covering. I'd like all to bases. disclaim that that is that is not um, <laughs> designed to be in any way, shape, or form no. a of Michael Checker's pumas. <laughs> <laughs> timely, timely. We'll start where we start every week, mate. What stood out for you from the first weekend of the rugby championship? Uh, I think in a more broad context, and it's been very well discussed, but the character of the Wallabies to kind of come from what should have been, could have been a losing position, um, and he took the lead, I think, with 16 minutes to yeah. go. There are a lot of things that piled up um, uh, against them, I suppose, not in their favour, and, I'm, I'm, and maybe we'll get to that. But, yeah, just the, the composure that they showed to get back into that match and... Use, use um, the smarts that maybe we haven't seen from them. We certainly mm. didn't see it in the third test against England to go to that line out and to go to that rolling ball and, mm. and to get, you know, effectively three tries from it, three of their five tries and one of the other try was, um, was a result of a maul as well. So yeah. um, that was probably it for me. Just, you know, the composure and the smarts of the Wallabies down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that they... When they had the chance, and you know they could easily have just put the ball into touch um, on 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 full time, but they went, "No, we're we're a chance here. If we can split them, we can get that bonus point." And we know, Harry, from rugby championships past, that bonus points can be absolutely like gold. And I just I love that they went hunting for that bonus point and got it, and and that was a real highlight um, for you. I I feel like I don't need to ask, mate, but you you had a good weekend as well, didn't you? Yeah, but I'll, I'll leave the box to the next uh, segment yeah. and just speak more of Argentina and Australia. But I would say the coach, the coaches, the melodrama of the coaches stood out for me a little bit in this sense. Rennie hasn't had that much of a better record than, um, than Ian Foster. Mm. Why, so why is it so um, cacophonous over in New Zealand and it's quite as mice in Australia? And I think it's because Rennie has built this character. I think the way the Wallabies are winning or even losing Mm. It shows that the team believes in him. They believe yep. completely in the uh, what they're trying to do. They trust him. I think they like him. I think they like the way he speaks to them, and I think the way he likes they like the way he stands up for them. And in contrast, you have Ian Foster, who doesn't seem like if a fan heckled him and said you're a traitor, I think that Ian Foster would say, "Oh, maybe, maybe I am." <laughs> I mean, I just don't think he actually has yeah. the fire that is igniting him. And I'm not saying that as a disrespect for the human no, being I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm sure he's nicer to be around. <laughs> She's a nice guy. Yeah. I'd probably prefer to have a, a have a tea in his house than than Ian, than Eddie Jones's. But I think part of this elite sport thing is lighting a fire. And I think yeah. Dave Rennie's got something, some magic where uh, debutants like Jed Holloway or back in the other series, Nick Frost, um, they're stepping up. Barecki doesn't seem yeah. to have any nerves. When he Darcy Swain last one. year. Yeah. 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 He's bringing these yeah. young guys in who you wonder whether they're ready and they just are. 
and they thrive. Well, uh, and that's cause, cause the other Argentina, I mean, Ian will, will vouch for this. It's a tough place to play, yeah. to go on the road. I mean, and that opening stanza by Argentina, Ian, that was, that was pretty good. It, it stuck with me. A couple of Wallabies coaches have said it, and Tim Horan tweeted it as mm. well. That it's among those guys that have played at this level. Argentina is a very, very regarded as a very tough place to win, mm. um, and wins on test victories on the road, in particular, they're they're hugely difficult to attain when everything is against you and the entire you're in a hostile kind of environment and. Um, yeah, look, I don't think I, don't, I think that the, the the value of that win um, wasn't lost on 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 the group. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I want to just quickly jump into that point you made about blooding young guys. That one of the big things for me now is that the debutants are twenty. Uh, you know, I, I think a good. I'd say a majority of the debutants this year are older than twenty seven, right? So you're t- yeah. you're not putting kids into you're not putting yeah, kids yeah. into the Wallabies anymore. So Jed Holloway was on debut. I mean, I've never yeah. seen a more assured debut yeah. in my life. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he looked like he'd been playing Test rugby for six years. Kate, so Kate Neville I think that's was the same big, back in July. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, Matt Gibbon, he was kind of at the stage of the game where he wasn't asked to do a whole heap. But you, you can just get the thing is, is you've got guys who aren't. We went through a phase where we were blooding kids who. They were learning the job in Test rugby, yeah, and they were they were had played less than ten Super rugby games. Now you got yeah. guys who have been playing professional rugby for the best part of a decade, and yeah. there's a big difference there. You know, yeah. that they're coming in fully; they're fully baked. Um, yeah, and I think that that's a big part of why, um, even for example, on the weekend when you know a team fielding a debutante in the forward pack didn't didn't break stride. Hey, Pedro, you had a great picture on on your Twitter account uh, of Jed Holloway on the pitch at the end of the match, barefoot, soaking in Mendoza. Uh, just talk about how brilliant that what must have been for him and how he soaked it all up. Yeah, it, look, it, it's one of those ones. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll break the fourth wall here. Like it, it, the he was waiting for um, to do an interview with Stan Sport, right? So it wasn't he, he didn't come back out of the sheds and just kind of you know, wander around and um, <laughs> yeah. have a bit of an emotional moment on his own. But it was nonetheless kind of, he was he was the last one there and he, he definitely, he took himself out into onto the field and had a good look around and, and there was definitely the sense that he was soaking it all in and, um, you know, had to plopped himself down on the ground. And as, as you know, he'd point, he pointed out later, he'd given his boots and his socks away to people in the crowd, you know, like... Um, Oh, I just think that that struck a chord with everyone, that Jed Holloway story, didn't it? Yeah, you know, and, it did. and Matt Gibbon has a great story too. But Jed, um, you know, there's a guy who had been around the scene for a long, long time and and um, the Tars got rid of him. I mean, everyone knows his story. He admitted his, his sort of attitude wasn't mm. great. He went away and kind of got that sorted. When it, it, I think we underplay how the, the time that he spent in Japan. You know, he was over there with uh, a Toyota, you know, under Simon Cron and, you know, rubbing shoulders yeah. with Kieran, um, Kieran Reed. Reed and Michael Hooper in the sheds. He didn't mm. even play that much, he said. But no, those guys basically said, Jed, listen, you're a very, very good footballer. Like, you know, why are you so down in the dumps, blah, 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 blah. 
fast forward to him getting another start and being a bit fitter and it all just came together. So, yeah, I mean, everyone just felt feels great for a guy like that when you yeah. achieve a dream that you thought was gone. Yeah. Mate, what's the, what's the mood in the Wallabies camp like after a really character-filled win like that, but then coupled with the twin losses of... Michael Hooper, you know, a, a day or two before the before the game, and then Quade Cooper with his with his Achilles rupture. Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate that. Um, grieving isn't the right word, but the the Hooper thing was quite impactful. You know, like yes. that was a big shock to them as well as us, because to them Hooper was this indestructible kind of leader. Um, yeah. And maybe still is, you know, like it's not, we can't talk past tense here, but um, came out of the blue, I think, for a lot of them, you know, like as Dave Rennie said, he'd done a good job in in masking whatever. In shielding it, yeah. yeah. And even during the week, Rennie was saying that he was still, he trained, he was the guy standing up in leadership meetings, he was the guy addressing the team. So he was still pushing himself into the job that, was his, he was still doing it um, and, and until he wasn't, you know, until he mm. kind of really had a reckoning and said, no, no, I'm going to put my hand up here. And he talked to Sharon Flahive and the rest is history. Um, so I wondered whether that would have a bigger impact than it did. Um, it could have gone, it could have gone two ways. And I wonder whether we saw it go the way where it was, let's do it for hoops kind yeah. of, an emotional response, and this week might be, um, yeah, hangover to that might be this week. That's a really good point. Uh, see, but again, and then the Quaid injury, I think, was a big that this is why I'm so impressed with the composure they showed. The Quaid injury was very obviously a bad injury. You saw yeah. him go down, and it was no good. And there was a most of the second half left to play, they were trailing. Mm. And the guy who had basically created everything for them in the first half was now off the field and Reese Hodge was coming on, you know. So um, I think, oh, that's why you saw them all, you know, there's been some nice videos and, and, and James Slipper's words as well just about how much that win meant to them. He said it was top five in his career. Um, mm. So the, the mood, that, that's a long way of saying that the mood, I think, was um, that they've been up against it, um, that the, the kind of the punches have been... You know, the gut punches have kept coming in, but they've been able mm. to rally. So, um, I don't know. One day you, you might think, does uh, do the Wallabies get everyone on the field and that character, that kind of forged in the fire character, kind of actually pay some dividend at some point? Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, knowing Test Rugby, it doesn't really. You just roll, you roll forward yeah. with whatever yeah. fit tricks you've got this week. Um, and that's why that depth thing is so important now because you can reach down into – you know, depth isn't about who you who your second best player is; it's who your fourth best player yeah, exactly. is. And can they play test rugby? Yeah. What sort of what sort of conversations or, or, or what sort of um, extra conversations, I suppose, are the coaches having with the team and the players this week, particularly? Like you say, that the hangover might be somewhat delayed. Are they, you know, are they getting around each other to to make sure that everyone does feel like they're up to it? Because it it was two fairly significant events in terms of losing senior players. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they do all that stuff, I'd say, routinely. And and it's funny. I'm not sure. I think they'd maybe talk about it to be yeah. aware of it. But that's kind of like 
that up. They probably don't spend too long kind of countenancing, um, you know, you know, potential negatives. Is it, yeah, you know, if sure. That's the right way to say it. Yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? Um, yeah. I think that they'll just kind of push on and and you, you know turn to maybe maybe it's the guys like your slippers and your Nick Whites who who kind of just push that a little more and just try and get through this week. Look, I, I, I'm speculating there. There may be no yeah, emotional hangover whatsoever. They're, they're, they're footballers. Um, the emotional part might, you know, the fact that that it only came, the, the tests only came a day after the Hooper stuff happened, mm. meant that it was still fresh. They've had a lot more time to kind of process it now, and um, in a in a really kind of you know cold light of day perspective, Fraser McWright was so great. Yeah, he was really good, wasn't he? It was really good. That you. The absence of Hooper, you know, and Slipper kind of stepped up nicely as a leader and you've got the Nick White. So um, the, the absence of Hoops, other than kind of in, a, in an emotional way, um, wasn't really as telling as perhaps it might, we might have thought it would be. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, yeah. Harry, how they try and bounce back from from losing yeah. to such senior factors this week. And I, hearing you talk there before, Pato, I, I keep wondering about Hooper you know, standing up and having the leadership meetings and all that thing last week. And what must he have gone through to realise, hang on, I'm not right here. Like, you you really hope he, <clears throat> if whatever it was that hit him, that it didn't hit too hard, because that could be, that could be really hard to come back from, Harry. Yeah, it's much nicer that it happens now than, 30 years ago, right? And he would be crucified yeah. for yeah. even yeah. admitting any kind. So we, we're kind of in a transition phase where absolutely still brave, incredibly brave, because we still play, live, and talk about a sport where uh, testosterone and manhood and manliness mm. is still, you know, an apex virtue. Um, but I do think also on a maybe a larger sense, having a million cap, capped, a million capped uh, Hooper and a kind of an old aging Quay Cooper and JOC kind of also hitting that kind of father time. Sort of predictable. I'm sure Rennie had a plan. Yeah. Slipper also is not going to necessarily go scot-free from now to the World Cup. So, you know, you, when you're thinking about the succession planning, it does look smart to me, like Ian says, to bring in new people, but new people who are 26, 27, 28, who don't yeah. need uh, hand-holding as much. That, that's one thing. Uh, Ian, I was going to say also, you're getting – you know, you're posting some wonderful stories and everyone needs to go on City Morning Herald and check out Rugby Heaven and, and read them because you they're more personal, I would say. This is just my observation. Maybe I'm wrong. But you're getting more insights from the people, more the human behind the player, not so much about statistics and, and game tactics, but more, you know, the story behind the guy. And, you know, mm -hmm. I know you're running around Argentina in a sidecar and motorcycle, Drinking dulce de leche, <laughs> red wine, tango lessons at two in the morning with, uh, you know, well, we'll get into that. But so are you getting more access to the players? Tell us how it works being on tour because these two game tours are kind of fun, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, you you know, they're, they're, um, I'm, I'm the only uh, media member on, on the tour. So I'm kind of getting, have the ability to kind of um, talk with the Wallabies uh, management more and kind of identify stories that I'd like to tell and, um, you know, the, you know, particularly it, it, the thing with this, the, you talk about the, the nice human stories, that's the great thing about when people make their test taboos, that's kind of the time that you do it, right? Um, mm. And 
you know, we spoke about Jed, but Matt Gibbon was there as well. And he mm. has a terrific story, which, yeah. you know, we, we, we got into about his granddad. Um, but I would have loved to tell that before he played his test of boot, but you only find out, you know, very shortly before and you don't want to cram that all in at the same time no. as Jed and you know what I mean? So I deliberately kind of held off and wanted to talk to him the day after he played. So that kind of, um, there has been, it has been quite profile heavy, not really by any kind of plan, but that's just the way it's mm. all worked out. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's good. It's, um, it, there's a certain element as, as far as touring when, when you're away and, and, and the players and the staff see you in the same place they're in. And, um, you know, there's, perhaps an appreciation from them that you've gone all the way over there to, to cover them, you know? So it's, I've always found that with touring, there's, there's that kind of appreciation and, and you can, you can find those quite, you know, um, lunchtime moments or whatever to sit down and have a proper half hour chat, as opposed to the, the hurly burly of, you know, back home when they're racing around town. And um, the difficulty with the Wallabies as well is that they've been based in Queensland with during yes. the pandemic, no one toured with them and, have been based in Queensland, so this is the first chance, certainly I have had for a long time, to be actually actually just kind of, you know, spend time in their presence and and step through some of the stories behind behind the mm. people. Um, it's just yeah, last week was it was a strange week, that's for sure. As far as news, you know, like the the Michael Hooper stuff came straight out of left field, but um, uh, there was plenty of other news, wasn't there? You know, Sami Karevi and yeah. Michael Checker mm. managed to track down Michael Checker and talk to him about. You know the Wallabies, so no, it's been a, it's been a good tour. It's been a good tour, um, and I think the, How about the locals. The other are, part the, of it is the, are the are the Argentines into it as you walk around and talk about rugby, or do they know what's going on? Yeah, they, they um, there's a, there's a, a definite um, affection for rugby. It, it doesn't really um, it doesn't manifest in kind of posters on the street or anything but but then again it doesn't really in australia either you know what i mean like um uh but yeah there was a great crowd um there's a big club rugby scene in in argentina uh, that um that is apparently very strong and it's it's like ours it's kind of community based and yeah you know people identify with their rugby club and so on and so forth and um the good thing about that there was it was a 4 p.m kickoff here for us um up, up in the, up at the, uh, I won't even bother trying to pronounce the, the, the Stadio Malvinas, I think it was. That's the one, Malvinas, Argentinas. Um, and, and it was, um, it's a big open air stadium there and, and, you know, it's a soccer stadium with kind of terrace seating at the end. Lots of families, lots of, you know, yeah, um, cool. mums and dads and kids rolling in, which, which was really nice to see. Um, and yeah, there, there, there is, there is a, a it, it all, as Michael Checker said last week, it actually it really amazes you when you stop and think about how well South American rugby is doing. There mm. are three South American teams going to the World Cup yeah. next year, and this is a joint that you know is as mad about football as anywhere in the world. You know, this is a soccer country, so um, there have been some you know there have been some guys like Gus Picho you know latterly but probably well before that that have done some really hard work in in, mm. in getting Argentinian rugby up to a, a great great standard yeah and 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 Marcelo Bosch touched on this last week the fact that there are going to be three 
South American com- countries at the World Cup next year, you know, Uruguay through Chile through for their first World Cup ever. Uh, it's it's enormous for a part of the world that's still quite isolated from international rugby and from professional rugby. So for them to achieve that, it's it's absolutely incredible. And it was fantastic to see such a good crowd there um, in, in Mendoza on, on the weekend. The big storyline this week, mate, for, from a Wallaby sense, is, is going to be who, who plays 10. Uh, I mean, on one hand, it feels fairly obvious that Noel Olaseo slots slots straight back in again, and they and they play to what's becoming a fairly familiar game plan with him there. But is there a is there a train of thought that Reese Hodge can do the job for another week? I don't think Reese Hodge will do it. I think it'll be between Nara and James O'Connor. Um, yeah, don't discount the kind of the O'Connor um, coming in for this test. I think it might be kind of you know the. Inverted commas, the perfect game to do it. They've won a game on the road. Yeah. Um, and Reese, I mean, Noah's a known entity to a certain degree. Like they've they had him for for three tests against the English. Um, you know, we talk about kind of how it's a difficult place to win. James O'Connor's a very experienced number ten, and I mean, he hasn't played a lot. So there's got to be a point yeah. where they figure out if he's actually going to be. Um, a potential contender for that number 10 jersey. I know they're talking about Quaid <clears throat> being a chance to come back and so on and so forth, and maybe he is. Um, but anyone who has kind of been through a, a serious Achilles injury would tell you, like, just all the best intentions, it's just one of those one of those ones that takes a long time yeah. to fully recover from, particularly f- from a guy with kind of the fast feet like Quaid. So uh, that's a long way of saying is... Between Noah and James O'Connor, um, you know, toss of a coin there uh, would yeah. surprise me to see James O'Connor back. And, and what's been the the main focus for them this one? Like, it's it's easy to say, you know, it's easy to say discipline and and you know, not stringing penalties together and all that. But has there been a an area of conversation or, or themes that you've picked up on this week where it feels like they're really trying to to focus on for game two? The classic, the classic Wallabies problem of slow start, really, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like the, yes, the, the, yes. They, but the thing is, is they do it in different ways. That's the that's the kind yes. of the confounding. Um, at the weekend, the, the discipline is, I guess, a consistent thing. The discipline at the weekend, it, this taps into a much more a broader area that I know you two um, would would appreciate. But the the referee <laughs> influence on a game, yeah, um, is really changing shape. Um, mm. And I was talking to Nick White last night about how, um, for mine, you could like having watched the Springboks All Blacks game and and Gus Gardner ref that, and then watch old mate ref the Wallabies yeah. Argentina game. They were like, pinging the like same Anderson. things, right? They were yeah. they were going for um, things that we don't necessarily, you know, not closing the gap, or closing the gap, and yep. the offside line, which is great, and you know. Um, Rolling, taking an extra roll, you know, yeah. like there was all these weird things. So, saying we were talking about it last night is that if you can actually get your hands on what the refs have been told to ping this week, it's almost like getting the the exam answers before If you can just kind of stay on the right side of the ref, because the ref was the def- one of the defining factors of the Wallabies Pumas game, it, yeah. Like, it's not well, about he, he was he, he was the one deciding where Nick White could pass. I mean, at some point, I thought Nick White was going to rifle one into the into the ref and say, 
you know, I'm going to milk an offside call against the ref. He's, he he's, not, the one he, next he, he's not above that, Whitey, for the record. <laughs> but he was the one that was actually defining the territory game. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, like it wasn't about, you know, building a couple of good phases and then using your boot to get to for your exits. It was about, you know, waiting for the guy to give you a penalty. And th- to be fair, the Wallabies, you know, got got some great kind of assistance out of their territory in that second half. Certainly you know? in the second um, half, yeah. So um, discipline, I know, I know that like that – I don't know how you kind of – you can focus on discipline. You can focus on making sure you're offsides because they're just going hell for leather on offsides, which is great because it's become a scourge on the game. So um, I dare say that they'll be focusing on that. But additionally, I think that what we saw um, with the Wallabies, with the way that the Pumas were, is that um, they'll tighten their defence up a little bit. Some of the, the Wallabies' defence, particularly on the chase line, was, was poor. Yep. Um, that try to Gonzalez came because Falau Fainga raced upfield trying to, you know, bash someone and got yep. exposed. And then the chase line was just terrible. Anyway, so they'll, I think that they'll work on that. Um, and I think that they saw enough with just the way that they were working their attack is that they can get through the, the Pumas line like it did fracture. I think that they beat the, something like 18 defenders beat you know, yeah, something like something that like it'll that, be yeah. again working and and you see it in when Australia play Argentina that they work very hard to manipulate space and they can they do score tries from long range against Argentina um, yeah so I dare say that um, you will see more kind of from that I, I think that they'll have a very attacking mindset that's why I don't think Reese Hodge who would who, who's probably your best bet as far as a kicking 5-8 goes but mm. I think that It'll be either O'Connor or Noah as far as trying to manipulate space and yeah. and attack. And I wouldn't be surprised to that they think that they could score another another bonus. You know, get yeah. get yeah. another kind of potentially even get away from a reliance on the mall because you know that Checker is going to you know he's going to send up. all yeah. his troops to the mall yeah. Right? Yeah. and um, they're going to have to kind of double bluff him on that sense and, and score some tries elsewhere. Check, check is just as likely to, to to muscle up with a six-two bench of his of his own, um, just to to try and to try and combat that. You're, well, you're he was right. he was really it was it was funny. It was back to it was back to um, you know surly's not the right word, but post match post match when Michael Checker has lost, he's he's just not a happy man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. and fair enough, he, yeah. he, he kind of internalizes that stuff. Um, and he and to his credit, he tries. Um, I'm not sure to, to to what degree successfully he tries to do his press match post match press conference in Spanish. So um, I, I didn't understand a lot of it. I asked him a couple <laughs> in English, and and the big theme was how dark he was on that they'd given up three rolling all tries. That he said yeah. that's part of our DNA. Um, that mate, that did you hear, mate, did you hear him? Did you hear him say the word puto at all? I'm just going to give you a little tell. <laughs> watch out for that one. <laughs> Um, it's not Peto, it's no. Puto. <laughs> no, I will, I will. But I was in, it was interested to read even on the way here that um, I think he's doing his very best and full credit to him for, for trying, but I think mm. that his Spanish ends up being a kind of a mangle of um, French, Italian and all Spanish. His other, all these other languages, but, yeah. But even, um, even the Spanish guys yeah. kind of struggle to, yeah. to understand. Look, so, um, mate, yeah, look, go it's, on, sorry. 
now you know you're, you're i was just just gonna say it's, it's been it's been fantastic to, to have you on from argentina to get to get the sort of insights from from the one person traveling with the with the squad <laughs> this week um thanks so much for for, for tuning in we'll um, we'll certainly touch base again before before the year's out and uh safe travels for the rest of the tour does this get me back in the team of the week or what <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you're you're back you're back in. There's been uh, there's I been wanted to have a selection problems. meeting, but um, I've, yeah. I've, somehow I've been I've been out of selectors' favour for a good couple <laughs> of months now. So, no, Jim, Jim Tucker has has confessed to me that he has got some personal problems. I'm going to have to slot you back in. <laughs> Rugby on the raw. Harry, fantastic to speak with uh, with Ian Payton, and and should absolutely uh, jump on the Sydney Morning Herald website or or the hard hard paper edition and and check out or pay those uh, coverage of the Wallabies from Argentina. He's been doing an absolutely fantastic job, mate. We need to talk about South Africa and, and New Zealand, but the starting point for this is just going to be homage to the great William Spiders Larue. Um, and let's him. just you, oh, you love, that. You love that guy. I do. <laughs> he's just one of my favorite, favorite players. And I love that he can come on in the 79th minute of a test. He can make one run for no meters because he kicked the ball ahead, scored one try, celebrated with 45 people in the stands, and it was magnificent. But what was magnificent about was the commentary. So I've got two clips here. Firstly, this is Matthew Pierce. At his understated best on Supersport in South, South Africa. Almost making the steal. Tupovai. Here they come again. And Ben got his pass away. Here's Billy LaRue. He's got it. I love that, mate. Matthew Pierce. He just lets he just lets it flow. He just lets it flow. By contrast. Let's hear the pain in Grant Nisbet's voice on Sky Sport in New Zealand. He swings it away for Moanga. Oh, danger there. Then it's been dropped by Frizzell. And try scored. Billy LaRue. Andre Pollard to put a full stop on this game, which he does. Springboks too good on the day. Oh, it didn't go down well. It didn't go down well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, they thought there that were a lot of painful sounds. There, there yeah. were a lot of painful sounds from the commentary yeah. box this weekend. Like Marcelo Bosch, we had. I think uh, there was. I think maybe um, Justin Marshall. Uh, did, it wasn't Justin going well. Marshall. Justin Marshall. He Let he was he was trying to. Sound. Oh, he was. He thought they'd got away with a nineteen ten loss, but no, no. Old Spiders had more to say about that. So surely, mate, now. The box are clear favourites for the for the rugby championship, and and they've got to be. I mean, it's got to be them and France that are favourites for the World Cup now, surely. I mean, that's how I see it. And so I did a preview article, and so far I'm still in the game. You know, I I, I, I picked everything to, to go the way it's gone so far after one round. Mm. I hate doing preview articles, and then it's undone in the first round, right? So still in the mix. <laughs> sounds like but my tipping. Obviously. <laughs> obviously um, <laughs> Obviously, you know, it's tough for South Africa to win in Australia. I'm going there to to try and get them over the line. Um, but it's, it's you know, history shows you that usually that's a split, so that, and that's how I predicted it. So I do think Australia is um, in the mix. And to one of your points about bonus points, that could be kind of important. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, that was that was a good show. No, I think the Bucks have the constancy, like I pointed out, you know, basically it's the same squad with um, a little shift, you know. Damian Valimsa has taken your man, Billy's oh. spot. But I think I think Billy LaRue is enjoying that. I think he yeah. likes the cameo role. And you know, and sometimes and I think in, he's like, perfect in the, for it. In in, in, in no, much in the, the in, in much the same way Pete Samu is is you know, made for that number twenty jersey. He can come on and he can slot into the side of the scrum, the back of the scrum, wherever, and he can just do a job. And Spiders comes on and he does that. He needs to add a little bit of X factor at the end of the game, and it's it's slower X factor than it was once, but he's still yeah. got it. The the hands are still good. Um, you know, he's still got a decent kick. He's still got the instincts. Great vision, you know, like and, and as Johnny Sexton proves, you know, there's a part of you that does keep getting better, and it's the vision yeah. and the tactical acumen. So I think Billy gets to sit on the sideline and actually watch the game and then figure out in some cases, like in the Welsh series, he was thrown in very early. In some cases, yeah. it would be one minute, but but he can look at it and say, I see a gap. I see space no one else sees. And so yeah. that could work. And the player 23, especially in a 6-2 split, is hugely important. Reese yeah. Hodge spoke about it recently, you know, I, because I welcome the idea that I am that 23 because it tells me that the coaches have a lot of faith in me. Yes. It's not a bench, yeah. not a bench position. It's a like truly like it's, I have it's, to come You are the whole bench. Things. You are everything yeah. from 10 out. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So you mentioned bonus points there and and where I think it gets interesting for the tournament going forward is particularly if once the box get to Australia, because that's been a bit of a bogey tour for them in the past. So, you know, for hundred years, I mean, bo- yeah. both sides have never, have never won away. Both sides are fixated on the all blacks, uh, Australia and South Africa live and die on Bledisloe or, you know, New Zealand rivalry. Yeah. And then we forget about each other and we run yeah. into each other. Our styles are so disparate that it's just almost bizarre to play. Nothing yes. makes sense. You know, yeah. Australia always feels like they got robbed over here and the box feel like, what What was that when they yeah. came over to Australia? So I think I think that's the, the subplot here, bonus points mattering because of the way it's structured. But I will say this also, the two-game format has been really interesting. Yeah, because agree. Each, it's more like the old tours of old where I think people forget that players are not just part of this big squad team. Players have individual rivalries. I mean, we saw yeah. it with Darcy Swain and Johnny Hill, but there's some Argentinian players that want to settle some scores next week. Yeah. There's some All Blacks, like a, a Dane Coles type personality. They are not happy and they just yeah. cannot wait to get back on and say, Malcolm Marks is not better than me. And so you have the ability to have a revenge match yes. on yeah. soil, on the same soil. So I think and that's fascinating. Yeah, and it, it means... Yeah, it, it just it just means as well is that they like Argentina and, and South Africa from an Australia New Zealand sense, they're they're hard places just to fly in, fly out. Like but actually being there and being on the ground for 10 days, it actually allows you to acclimatize and prepare and 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 be ready for anything and not just, you know, airport hotel, training ground, hotel, game, play, plane, you know, it's there's they can actually I can actually live a little bit. Yeah, and you spoke about the idea that maybe in New Zealand's plight, it was better for them to be on the road. And I think that that's probably still true. Yeah. But it, it also heaps a lot of pressure um, on the players to play for their coach. And so the yes. drama, I suppose the whole rugby world outside of us, you know, even the Irish or French guy watching, they are looking at the Ian Foster story with such interest. Like, 
Will yeah. he go down fight, fighting? You know, will he actually go down fighting or will he accept his fate? And it's like an old Greek saga or something. This guy, yeah. he, he doesn't seem to ever throw a chair or do anything. So um, you would think that, you know, we'll see it. We'll, we'll finally see the defamed all black backlash this week or we won't. I mean, this is when yeah. you would have to see it because you're, you're literally saying, I will save my coach or I will not save my coach. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be fascinating. And I wrote last week that it's, it's fascinating watching it on from afar and, and the little bit of response and reaction that I got from that from people in Ireland and people in, in Europe and all that yeah. told me that it's, it's equally fascinating for, for everyone in the rugby world outside New Zealand. And you look, you look at some of those spirit stats, you know, like there's, there's, rugby is kind of cursed and that we don't have this accepted uh, canon of stats. But one is loose balls collected, you know, like yeah. balls on the floor. And you cannot take that in a 10-minute uh, period. You take it over, let's say, 300 minutes of rugby. Yeah, You can definitely see that one team gets more uh, collected of loose balls or spills or taps. And yeah. so, the, so what happens is the Springboks have invented a flood-the-zone kick chase where – Yes, there's a chaser, but also they try to get uh, beyond the ball and around the ball, anticipating a cordon so that any ball that comes down, you saw it in the Lions series, that's one of the, that was the Cheston Colby try, is, and Lacanio Arm is particularly good at it, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like there's some cricketers that just know where to stand. How where to it's be. going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and they yeah. Feel, the, feel the ball, like a Ben Smith type. Um, so I think the, that, that's happening and that's where they're getting beaten. If you took all the stats, Put them side by side, they're not that different. But no. the you know lo- loose balls, Sia Khaleesi gets a loose ball that he had no right to get, and you almost look at the All Blacks standing and watching. That's where I think a, a coaching uh, team, a coaching a team itself, can be highly motivated and actually uh, step up a little bit. That's where I would yeah. expect the All Blacks to do to do better. To go for those balls, like, yeah. actually get on the ground and get them. A quick one to wrap to wrap this part up. Where is the where is the improvement for South Africa this week? Uh, that, that's a very great question because uh, they can get better. Um, so there are a couple of times when they actually found the edge, um, usually off broken ball. So the All Blacks were were going out the back too much against a yeah. rush defense that doesn't stop and reform like every other defense. It just keeps pushing like a salient. They don't even care how much they bulge. They can go all over to the try line if they have to. Mm. They don't mind having people behind you. Um, so when that happened and the box had breaks, there was too many times when they they could have just done one more pass, one more, and mm. it would have been to the races. And so I do think that, um, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, when you're looking at it later, you say, well, Rico Ayani did get in the, in the way of Damien Billy in this uh, potential pass. But I still think you try it. Um, and I think that would be an uh, example of more tries at Ellis Park, where the Bucks tend to score a lot at, El- at Ellis mm. Park. Um, on the other, other on the other edge of it, I would suppose um, they want to do better at the mall. They want to get the mall running and rolling a little bit better because the Jason Ryan uh, coached All Blacks did seem to stop that pretty well in the first mm. half. The roar. Round two of the Rugby Championship uh, is again on this Saturday and Sunday, depending on where you are in the world. Saturday in South Africa and, and Argentina, obviously. Sunday in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, South Africa and, and New Zealand play at Ellis Park, Johannesburg, 
Uh, 1.05 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Obviously, check local guides where you are in your part of the world, and we have to say that because we're catering for much more than just our local crowds now, Harry. Hello to our Italian friends again. Uh, Argentina and Australia at the Estadio Bicentenario in San Juan, uh, 5.10 a.m. Australian Time, Australian Eastern Standard Time. There, um, Looking forward to both those games, mate. Tough place to play that. You know, so I had a very tough day yesterday. I was going to court to do something very bizarre and everyone's hating me. I thought, well, I'll get a grilled cheese sandwich before I go because it was a grilled cheese sandwich shop. But right next to it, I saw a thing called Stretch Lab. And I thought, what's a Stretch Lab? So I went in there instead. And I met an Argentinian guy named Matias who knows Cello and Lavanini's brother and he's best friends with them. And he's a wing playing for St. Edwards and Buenos Aires before he became a kinesiologist stretch man. He stretched me for an hour. He talked for rugby for an hour. And I said, isn't it great that, isn't it great that Chile is in the World Cup? He said, I hate Chileans. Everyone hates Chileans. And I go, what do you mean? Why? And he goes, they did not help us in the Maldinas. There you go. Oh, wow. <laughs> Strange oh. story. I said, uh, oh, you mean the Falklands? And then he stretched me more. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> the best grudges are long grudges, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, a little bit of news around uh, my Queensland midfielder Hamish Stewart confirmed a move to the Western Force for two seasons mm. uh, last week. Um, the the Reds had earlier blocked a move for him down to the Melbourne Rebels. Uh, the New South Wales Waratahs confirmed the long-rumoured signing of former Leicester and flying Fijian uh, winger Nemani Nandolo for next season. 32 wow. tests, um, last played Super Rugby in 2016 with the Crusaders. I think he'll be a handy Indeed. senior player, I think. The Sansa Foul Play Review Committee has accepted a guilty plea from Kurt Lee Aronsa of South Africa for suspending him for four weeks uh, for that nasty, dangerous contact in the air with Bowden Barrett late uh, in the game there. In, uh, it's about in right. Uh, it's about yeah. right. Yeah, according to all the other sightings that go up and down. And yeah, apologies, it was started, right. started eight weeks, um, came down to four weeks with all the standard discounts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, interestingly, Dave Rennie last week revealed that the conversations that Rugby Australia had with the Japanese clubs to make sure that Samu Karevi, Quade Cooper, Marika Korombete, Rory Arnold would be available for the England series and the Rugby World Championship, uh, the Rugby Championship, sorry, uh, was that they wouldn't pick them for the five-test spring tour, uh, which is mm. something that I didn't realise last week at the time, I must admit. Uh, obviously, opens the door for the likes of Will Skelton and other European-based players at the end of the year. And in addition to all teams having access to smart mouth guards at the Women's Rugby World Cup in New Zealand later this year, um, and that's going to be used to help measure the frequency and nature of head impacts and uh, and, and the latest concussion identification management protocols, um, as well as player and coach education. World Rugby uh, on Tuesday this week announced it also be now the first rugby tournament to have mental health wellbeing support made available to all participants at the tournament. So this is just another sign right. made in the the, the the changing nature of um of, of, of rugby and it's not just a it's not just a physical injury thing anymore yeah the whole the whole person and as you'll you'll hear if you listen to our bonus pod with Stuart Lancaster and Nick Bishop that's really what we want we want we play this game for a reason right it's actually yeah. the joy of it it's not yeah. supposed to wreck you or make you want to you know no. leave so no that's great. it and, and you've just completely Ruined the tease that I was just about to start on. Now uh, no, we are sorry. back on. We are back on Friday with a, spon- a special, special bonus episode with 
Leinster and former England coach Stuart Lancaster and the Raw's own Nick Bishop. Um, you've had a long-form chat to them, mate. What what sort of things have you spoken to them about? You know, about finding space, space, but also space in life. Um, the, the way you handle losses, but also the, hand, the way you handle learning, um, how we learn, uh, the science of learning, but also the art of learning. And I think, you know, what Nick brought out a lot and Stuart echoed it and I'll, I'll say this, we all got a little bit emotional. It was a kind of emotional yeah. interview. Is we, we spoke of what motivates us, what drives us, and, and why we want to do this, and how we, and how we remember things. So you'll, you'll hear three grown men talking about rugby, but we were all remember being boys, and, and it was great fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's a it's a really really good conversation. Uh, here's a little sneak peek, uh, right here now. The order of events is, tackler, get out of the way, and make sure you're not impeding the the clear outs. Um, and then the assist tackler must show clear release. If they referee that well, then what you'll find is, um, there'll be more continuity. The ball in play will be higher. You'll have more multi-phase rugby, you know, etc. 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 So. Um, I think that's the focus area, really. If And we get distracted sometimes by all the other nuances of the game that we need to look at because of the complexity. But if we zone in on that, um, I do think the product will be better. It'll be more an evasion game. We'll, we'll reduce the sort of need for just power-based teams to win on, only. And uh, it'll be more attractive to watch. So that is that was uh, Leinster and former England coach Stuart Lancaster there. Just on his ideas of how the breakdown should be policed and the obvious benefits uh, that will come with it. Um, he spoke with Harry along with the Raw's resident expert analyst, Nick Bishop, uh, in a very special bonus episode 30 that will be out on Friday, wherever you pod. Uh, but, mate, that is episode 29 of the Raw Rugby Podcast in the can. Wow. Don't forget, Harry and I are both on the socials. And don't forget to drop us a line on the Raw when the new episode page lands. The Thursday two-up will kick off the previews of the second round of the Rugby Championship matches this weekend. Uh, And Harry and I will be back on Sunday with Jim Tucker uh, for another instant reaction pod after the second Pumas-Wallabies match. So like, follow, subscribe on your pod platform of choice to make sure you get the new episode when it drops. It's the Raw Rugby Podcast with me, Brett McKay, and Harry Jones every week on the raw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate, the home of all your favourite international rugby analysis, opinions, and conversations. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week. Prego, Italia. Come play with us.